an ordinary life. Extraordinary events can change a man forever. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I love you. I love you too. I'll be right back. I'm always going to keep this on Memphis time. You wouldn't have a match. Any chance, would you? Fire! Look what I have created! I have made fire! They think that we are right here. 160 times pi 3.1. That's a search area that's twice the size of Texas. who don't know that Chuck is the guy's name. He gets an all-expense-paid vacation for free to his own private island. Um, that's kind of the moral of the story. But no, um, today I'm going to talk about, felt led to preach on this topic and this sermon. I've preached on it before, uh, last year about this time. I feel like it's, uh, I, I feel led to preach on this a couple weeks ago, not because it's popular, but because I believe it's essential. And then Pastor Aaron, last week, if you weren't here, he preached on fear and anxiety. How many of you guys remember that? And a lot of people are getting set free from that and dealing with that. Uh, how many of you guys have heard the, the uh, phrase that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Aaron, I believe, gave the cure if you found yourself in that last week. Today, what I hope to do is to bring some of the prevention, okay? And so if that'd be all right, if you listen carefully, if, you, if you're wrestling with that, it'll help you on either side of it. But I believe we need to keep free before it ever comes. And so how do we do that? I want to talk about that today, and hopefully you get something out of this today. It's going to be practical in a lot of ways, and then there's going to be some things you really have to think about. In the Netherlands, they give you, on average, about 26 days of paid vacation per year. How many guys would like to, to have some of that? Anybody like that? In the United States, it's on average about 10 paid vacation days every year. Now, that's not so bad, but a study in 2012, they did a study, and, and most Americans had an average of nine unused vacation days at the end of the year. Uh, 55% of U.S. employees left at least some of their vacation days unused last year, and around a third of workers took zero vacation days in the last year. Now, 
How many of you guys are glad you're not in that category? Hopefully you're not in that category. You take a vacation. How many of you guys are planning on taking a vacation this summer? Okay, we're kind of in vacation season. All right, here's another. Several study after study have said that even while on vacation, that most Americans admit to obsessively checking and rechecking text messages and work emails all along the vacation. How many of you guys will just admit for just a moment that you've done that before? Okay, my hand is up. I've done that before. So even while we're on vacation, we're not on vacation, right? Now, that's, that's a problem. That's basically like th- this idea of never taking a vacation and always being on. It, it amounts to basically like never checking the oil or changing the oil in your car, okay? And expecting it to run forever. Or the gauges on your dashboard, never paying attention to them. Or maybe having broken gauges. Have you guys know that if you have broken gauges in your vehicle, bad things happen? happen, right? I've experienced this personally because I have some broken gauges on my dashboard in one of my vehicles. So last year, I remember it was like negative 50 degrees out coming to church in the winter. And it was, how many of you guys remember some of those days? It's like negative whatever. It was negative something. And it was completely, uh, I mean, fr- frozen tundra out there. And so I'm driving in real early on a Sunday morning. And it was probably like six something in the morning. And I had a couple of teenagers with me. And I get about a mile away from the house. Now remember, the gauges on my, my dashboard are broken. So I don't know. But evidently, I didn't have the right amount of antifreeze in my vehicle. So even though it's negative 1,000 degrees outside, my vehicle vehicle overheats and I get a mile from the house and I'm just stuck. And we are there in the frigid temperature. We didn't come prepared. I mean, it was like getting frostbite. I might as well have been climbing Mount Everest. I'd have more glory than just sitting in my vehicle on the side of the road. Fortunately, we made it. I'm still alive with all my appendages intact. So that's good. But my gauges were broken. Uh, Another time that last summer, I'm driving in. Again, I don't know what my gauges are saying. And so I drive and pretty soon out of the front of my hood, how many of you guys ever had this happen? I mean, smoke is billowing out like I'm cooking a brisket, okay? It's just like billowing out. I get stuck on the side of the road. It's humiliating. I mean, I can't, I mean, it's just horrible. Now, confession is good for the soul, okay, right? So here, I'm just gonna confess to you because even more recently, again, my gauges are broken. My speedometer doesn't work, okay? And so I, it was my daughter Lindsay's birthday just a couple months ago. So I'm driving down the road. We go to birthday breakfast because we always go to birthday breakfast. And I'm driving down the road on Flintlock Road in the morning. I'm kind of pacing myself with traffic in my mind. You know how that is, guys, right? In your mind, it's like, I'm just going with traffic. And so all of a sudden, it's, it's my daughter's birthday. We're talking about stuff. And all of a sudden, these, these fun lights start happening. It wasn't party lights, people. It was like... And so I was, had just happened to be on Flintlock Road in a school zone during the flashing lights. Now, if you've ever wondered what a ticket costs in a school zone, let me just tell you, it's about half a house payment, okay? It is a lot, and I'm not even kidding you. It is a lot. And so, uh, but all of that happened because, well, partially because of my gauges not working. Now, some of us are not paying attention to the gauges and the dashboard of our life. There, there should be warning signs because of how we're living our life, but they're either broken or we've ignored them or we stopped looking at them a long time ago. And I know this for a fact because I've seen it. I've lived it around people. I've lived it myself from time to time. When you run at too high of an RPM for too long, you are heading for 
a crash. It's inevitable there's going to be a crash somewhere. Now, I know this because I've had it happen to me. I've seen people do this all the time, and we're heading for a crash. Now, it may not be as dramatic as the plane crash we just watched in that scene where he crashes in the plane, but it can have just as devastating results on the inside of us and in our relationships and in our emotions and everywhere else in life. No one thinks they will crash, but it happens when we don't pay attention. And I've shared this story before, but I think it's, it's worth sharing that years ago in 2004, I hit this crash. I mean, I had the crash where it was one of the most stressful times of my life. I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't see it coming. I, it just had, I'd been running at too high of RPM for t- far too long. I mean, stress hit, er- mysterious physical illnesses start to crop up. That's when you know you're in trouble. It's like, it doesn't make sense. But all of a sudden I started to f- go to the ER and thinking that I was having a heart attack or this happened or that happened. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. And there was, they did every test they possibly could on me. At one point, they had me on 23 pills a day trying to solve whatever the problem was that they never figured out what it was. Now, that's not a way to live life, is it? It's not a good way to live life. And so I was there, and I was, at one point, I came home, and I'll, I'll remember this for the rest of my life, that it was so bad, I came home and I found the darkest, tiniest little closet in my house. Psychologists would have a field day with me right now. And I, I went and I sat down in it, just in the midst of the clothes and everything. I just curled up and I just sat there just so I could just shut out everything else in isolation. Now, I don't know if you've ever had it that bad before or not. Some of you guys, maybe you're just kind of nodding in on the inside that if you haven't been there, you've wanted to go there. That's not the way God would have us live life. And we've all had times when we hit the wall, but some of us kind of live in a cycle of that. And that's what we want to break. That's what we want to prevent today is continually hitting that that burnout stage. If you find yourself creeping up to that stage today, let me just give you a few warnings. You need to know this, that you may not be thinking straight right now, even though you think you are. Another warning is that your emotions may be oversensitive. You may, they, they may be all out of whack. And so it, but to you, it feels right. But I'm just telling you, it's not. Your discernment may be lacking. What you think you're seeing clearly may not be the clear picture. Your filter that you would normally have in place to filter conversations and emotions and situations, it may be offline. Your guard may be down and you not even realize it. Your offensometer may be misaligned a little bit. How do I know? I've been there from time to time. So I think we have to be aware of these things. Now, they will say statistically that many times a pastor, when they quit or resign the ministry, they may have a church of 100 people and everything's going good except for four or five problem issues or problem people in the church. And they could have 100 things going right, but they would quit over the four or five that become nagging issues like a thorn in the flesh. Everything else could be going right, but just four or five. And, and what I want to get you to understand today is the same is true in our life, that we could have 500 things going right in our life. We could have 100 things going right in our life, and yet if we allow the four or five nagging issues that continue to drip and drip and drip, it may lead us to a place we never thought we would go because of something we never saw coming. So, I don't know about you, but I want to avoid that because some of us are right there today and we need to get out of that. I want to prevent that. And here's why this is important, I believe. 
How many of you guys want to be used by God in this life? We're only here for just a little bit. I want my life to count for eternity. But God cannot use us if we don't have anything in the tank. As much as we want to be used by God, as much as we want our life to count for eternity, as much as we want to leave a legacy, if we have nothing in the tank, then God can't use us. We're constantly living on burnout. So what do we do about that? What's the answer? I want to look at a couple things through this movie Castaway. So let's go ahead and let's roll the first point. The air got to it. The air got to it! Have we forgotten how to make a fire? See, if we want to prevent this, this thing coming, we have to stay close to the fire. Stay close to the source. Stay close to where there's life. Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, we see this parable that Jesus told. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise said, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. 
So we see five that are wise, five that are foolish, five that were wise had oil in their lamps, had oil with them to keep the lamp burning. I want you to notice something. They were all 10 of them. They were doing the same thing. They were at the same location. The only difference was some had oil and some didn't. Some had fuel in the tank and some were not. Some were ready to meet the opportunity and others didn't have anything in the tank and missed the opportunity. And here's what we've got to catch. That being filled frees us to seize God opportunities. If we aren't filled, we will miss opportunities that God has for us. Not just to use us, but opportunities to see things that he has for us in our marriage, in our relationships, in our community, in our mission. And we don't see those things if we're not full. God can't use you if there's nothing in the tank. And if we're not available and ready when God comes calling, God will simply move on and accomplish what he's going to accomplish anyway. He just wants us to partner with him, and and it's important for us to be ready. So this week I was reading this scripture. In Psalm chapter 1, it talks about blessed, being blessed. And it says in verse 3, it says, He's like a tree, get the picture, a tree planted by streams of water. Just this cool, refreshing stream of water. The root system going all down in there. This tree planted by the water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. See, when you're planted by the right source, then you have potential to produce the right fruit. Just, I was thinking about this, this this week because there are times when I wake up and I find myself not planted by streams of water, but I'll look over and it's like, I'm in a desert. <laughs> Have you guys ever felt like you've been in a desert before? It's like, I'm not by the streams of water anymore. What happened? Here's the interesting thing. If you're like me, I still look like a good tree. I still look like I could bear fruit. I still look, even though I'm planted in a dry, arid place, I still look like I could produce fruit. How is that possible? The only way for you to have a tree that looks like it can produce fruit planted in the desert is to buy a fake plastic tree and plant it in the desert. It looks good from a distance. It looks like it could, but there's no life. The same is true for us. Whenever we find ourselves uprooted from the streams and the source of life and plant ourselves isolated in the desert, most of us take the fake tree approach and we don't want to look like we can't produce fruit. We want to still look like there's life. But the problem is fake trees cannot produce real fruit. And and one of the most fulfilling things in life is to be able to produce fruit. One of the most fulfilling things in life with your kids is to see the fruit of what you've poured into them begin to bear out. The same is true in every endeavor of life. But fake trees cannot produce fruit. That's why many of us feel unfulfilled. And if you produce no fruit, that simply leads to frustration and a frustrated life. How many of you guys have been there before? You've found yourself in a season of frustration. If you honestly look at it, it's like, I'm not bearing the right fruit. I definitely don't have the fruits of the Spirit in me right now. I don't have, you know, I'm not bearing any fruit. It's because I've uprooted from the stream and I'm planted in the desert in some area of my life. So if you're going to write anything down, get this down because this is a very simple concept, but it's so important. You have to intentionally get oil when you don't need it so that it will be there when you do. That's what the five wise did. They intentionally got oil. They intentionally stocked up. 
They intentionally read the word. They intentionally were at real life group. They intentionally came to church. They intentionally read the book. They intentionally uh, had the podcast, had that conversation with a friend and, and worked on their, they intentionally went to God. They intentionally spent time in prayer. They intentionally, even when they didn't need it, so that when crisis comes, it will be there all along. And too many of us, we find ourselves in a place where we have no oil because we didn't think, we thought we'd be able to get it when we needed it. And it just doesn't work that way. Some of you guys right now, today, you may be in a mess right now. You don't have to acknowledge you're in a mess, but you, you're in a mess. You know you're in a mess and you're wondering, you're like, where's God in my mess? Where is God? We've all felt that from time to time. Here's what I've discovered. Many times, God will give you a message before your mess so that you can turn your mess into a message. God will give you a message before your mess so that you can turn your mess into a message, but most of us miss the message. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I preached that message, The Greatest Showman, and we talked in some parts of it how God is our source, you know, and not our job, not this or that or the other, but God is our source. And a lot of people had faith rise up, and yes, 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 And I've talked to several people since then who found themselves, since that message, in a mess. And they came back to me and they said, here we are in this mess, but but thank God that God is my source. God knew before that I was going to be in this situation. He planted this message right in my path so that when I walk into this mess, I'd be able to hang on to the word from God and I'd be able to turn my mess into a message. And I've seen person after person just in the last few weeks And if you look back at your life and you find yourself in a mess, you'll realize that most of the time God gave you a message to lead you into that so you'd have something to hang on to to get you out of that. And if you find yourself in a mess right now and you can't find God in it, I wonder if it's because you've missed the message somewhere. And many times we miss the message because of this next issue that really drains our tank. It's this issue that we see, if we back up the story in the movie, Chuck, he works at FedEx, and his whole job is productivity. It's all about making sure they can get the packages there as fast as you can. And it's all about time. I was reading an article a couple weeks ago on time, and they said that with the increase of wealth across the world, in the United States in particular, they've also discovered what they've called an increase in a time scarcity, or they call it a time famine. Have you guys have ever felt like there's a famine of time? There's no time in your life. It feels like time is scarce. Like time is just, where is time? Where am I going to find time? Because even though we have more money and more opportunity, for whatever reason, it, we fill it up. We fill up our time with all these things. It somehow demands more time. And we, even though we have more opportunity, you'd think we'd have more free time. But we don't. We fill it up with more time. So they did an experiment, several experiments. And one of them, they just simply wanted to see what would happen. And so they, they had some, some people spend one week on uh, just a material pur- purchase that would make them happy, something they really wanted for a while. And then the next week, and they reversed this and did all these studies, but the next week they had them purchase something specific that would somehow save them time, whether it was a time-saving device or somebody to do something for them that would allow more time. Interestingly enough, the material purpose didn't hold water. It didn't bring their happiness level up. But this idea of increasing time shot people's happiness level up amazingly. 
you never know that it's just a little thing. But so many of us miss the message that God has for us because our time is so compacted and we don't ever have time to listen to what God has to say. So let's watch. The clock, which I started at absolute zero and is now at 87 hours, 22 minutes and 17 seconds. From Memphis, America to Nikolai in Russia, 87 hours. 87 hours is a shameful outrage. This is just an egg timer. What if it had been something else, like your paycheck, or fresh boysenberries, or adoption papers? 87 hours is an eternity. The cosmos was created in less time. Wars have been fought, and nations toppled in 87 hours. Fortunes made Time. He goes on, that next th- line that he says is this, or some line in there, he says this. We live or we die by the clock. We never turn our back on it, and we never ever allow ourselves the sin of losing track of time. You ever feel that way? Many of us feel that way. Many of us have no fuel in the tank, honestly, because of following that advice of always being on the clock, of maximizing our time, of completely packing it so full so that we can be so productive at the expense of other things. Our time is maxed. So how do we prevent this? How do we stay? How do we keep our oil in the lamp? Number two is this. We have to Sabbath our way to full. Sabbath our way to full. Again, I don't preach this message because it's popular. I preach it because it's essential. And I preach it because if I hadn't learned this years ago, I would have crashed and burned so many times because of this. This has preserved me. This has, has kept me in the game, having this, this idea of Sabbath, or Sabbath your way to full. Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, that's the day of rest, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested. What happened because of rest? He was refreshed. Now think about how crazy this is. If God decided or needed to rest and catch his breath, how much more? Should we? This is, cra- this is a crazy scripture. That God rested and was refreshed. Does God need to be refreshed? I don't know theologically how all that works. I'm just telling you what, what the scripture says. Again, how many of you guys are taking a vacation this summer? Looking forward to vacation. Anybody going to, uh, to the beach, Florida, or something like that? Anybody going uh, to the mountains? We, we've done this poll before, mountain people. How many of you guys are going overseas somewhere? You're, you're going over the, all right, some people over there. All right, and you're looking forward to it, right? You've got all this picture in your mind as to what it's going to be like. If you're going on a beach, you can just imagine yourself just kind of laying out there on a beach chair, you know, with the drink, with the little umbrella, sunglasses, just hearing the waves crashing in, you know, you've got this idea of what that's going to be like. And then how many of you guys have kids? How do you guys know that idea is completely false if you take the kids with you? It just is not going to happen that way at all. And you're running around chasing the kids, some kids puking over here, some kids peeing over here. I don't even know. This is the service we're recording. Gokhan told me we're recording the service, and I shouldn't have said that in this service. I thought this was the non-record service, but that's okay. Uh, 
you got kids just running around everywhere, right? And, and it's not very restful at all. And sometimes you just leave your kids for just a second and then chaos ensues, right? Uh, I saw this sign this week and put it up here. It says, all unattended children will be given a double espresso and a free puppy. Have you guys felt like that has happened to you while you're on vacation? Like, who did this to my kids? And it's not restful at all. It's, it's not supposed to be, actually. Because we, we all have had come home and we need a vacation from the vacation. Have you guys needed one of those? We all have. The problem is that we are looking for rest in the wrong place. Vacations were never intended to be our place of rest. They're intended to be a place of relationship and recreation. And so we've got these deadlines in our mind. If I could just get to this vacation, I'll get caught up on my rest. I'll get caught up and it doesn't happen because vacation is not Sabbath. Do you realize Sabbath was not supposed to be once a year. It's supposed to be what? Once a week. Once a week. Whenever we get in that rhythm of once a week, rest, refill. I can go back out and do what God's called me to do, then rest and refill, rest and recharge, fill my bucket. Let me give you five quick things about rest and about the Sabbath. And this will help some of you guys out if you're struggling in this area. Others of you guys, you might have this down. Others of you might be doubting whether this is even possible. Listen anyway and just allow God to breathe through it. And and maybe he'll give you some grace and an idea on how to pull this off. First thing is this, rest is a command. It made God's top 10 list. Okay, it's number four, make God's top 10 list. Now, I'm not talking about legalism. We're not saved by keeping these 10 commandments or anything like that. But I do wanna make the point that all of the other nine, if we don't follow after them, we, we don't have good results. Okay, if I go and murder somebody, I mean, guys know that's not going to go well for me. I'm gonna experience some negative consequences for that. The same, you can go down every single one of them. If I have a false God, it's going to have a negative influence. If I commit adultery, it's going to have negative consequences. If, if I, uh, you can go plug anyone. If I don't honor my father and mother, it's, it's not going to go well for me. Why is it that we think that all of these other nine, if we follow them, there's benefit. And if we don't, there's a problem. Why do we not think this one applies? Because I promise you the same is true of this one. God put it in there for, our, for, for us, he, he put it in there. And if we, we do that and we practice it, there's gonna be benefits. And if we don't, there's gonna be some negatives. So rest is a command. Second thing is this, rest is actually a gift. It's actually a gift. Mark chapter two, verse 27 and 28. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So the point is it's less about keeping the Sabbath because we can see Jesus went and he did all these things that the Pharisees were accusing him of. It's less about keeping the Sabbath and it's more about the, the Sabbath keeping us. When we put God's principles in, it begins to keep us as a gift from God. Number, number three is this, rest has to be guarded. Rest just doesn't automatically happen. Why does rest have to be guarded? Because honestly, guys, rest is opposed. It's opposed by our culture. It's opposed by, if you, if you got a driven personality, I've got a driven personality, I'll oppose rest within myself if I don't watch it. It's it, because I don't want to be seen as lazy, because I don't want to think, you know, I'm afraid of what, that I, maybe I won't be needed, or maybe uh, what will people think about me, or maybe I'll come, dis, come off disconnected, or whatever it is. It's opposed all around us. So it has to be guarded on the inside of us. We have to guard it. 
Let me just say something that's going to set some people free here today. If you struggle in this area, it's going to be a very simple statement. But but here it is. Rest and laziness are not the same thing. Too many of us, whenever we rest, we equate it with laziness. Rest and laziness are not the same thing. Rest is actually a spiritual discipline. It's actually an investment that we make. It's a spiritual activity. But rest and laziness are not the same thing. When I have my weekly Sabbath, now, some people have asked me to kind of describe some of those things. I don't just sit around all day. I'm not legalistic about that, and I can't scoot a chair out or anything like that. Can't push a button. No, it's not that at all. I just take time with God, with my family. I do activities that fill up my bucket as much as I can. It's not perfect, but it's just having that rhythm. Sometime, some of you guys, you can't pull off a whole day or anything. Find a way to have this as a rhythm. It has to be guarded, though, because if you don't schedule it, it won't happen. You have to schedule off time. Here's where it gets practical. You have to calendar nothing or it won't happen. I have to schedule nothing. If I don't, somebody will fill it up. And so I will write on my calendar. I'll even write. I'll write nothing sometimes. Like, what are you doing? Nothing. But that's okay. I won't tell you that. I've got, I'm busy. I'm booked. But I'm doing nothing because it's on my calendar. It's a very practical way to do that. In fact, that might help some of you guys out. If you just schedule family time and somebody asks you, what are you doing? It's like, I've got something on the calendar already. I schedule family time. I do all of that just as a practical way to keep myself in check. See, on on my Sabbath, on my day, uh, you won't get a hold of me unless you're dying, okay? If you're dying, maybe. If not, I'm I'm just, I'm locked in because it has to be guarded. Uh, Number four, to do this, rest takes faith. You say, but I can't, but and you've got all these, but I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You got these excuses and these things that are many times very legitimate, Very legitimate, but it's going to take faith. Sometimes doing less requires more faith. Sometimes doing nothing requires more faith than doing something. And that's where it happens in this area. It requires faith. It takes faith to rest once a week. It's like the tithe. How many of you guys are tithers? Let's just go ahead and bold and brave. Raise your hand. You're a tither. That means we give to God what is his, that 10%. Okay, We, we give to God. It takes faith to trust that 90% with God's blessing is going to go further than 100% without, right? And so we give the 90. It takes faith to give, to give that. It takes faith to live off less. The same is true with the Sabbath. It takes faith to trust God that six days blessed with God's blessing is going to go further than seven days in my own strength. Let me say it again, because some of you guys just didn't get that, okay? It's going to take faith to trust God. It takes faith to trust God to say, God, you can handle this world without me for 24 hours. You can handle my job without me for 24 hours. You can, I trust you with that. If I'm not here, you're going to make it happen. I just trust you. It takes faith to trust that six days with God's blessing is going to go further than seven days without. That was so good. If you missed it, get the podcast, listen to it again. Uh, maybe it'll hit you then. Pray for the Holy Spirit to take. Okay. Um, this is where it comes to the last one, because some of you guys are not very good at this. How many of you guys are not very good at rest? Anybody? Just, just own it right now. I'll raise my hand, just get you started. Rest takes practice. If you're not good at it, you got to practice it. You're not going to do good at it for a while. 
You're going to try, and then something's going to pop up. You're going to, you're going to try, and it's not going to work. But every other area of our life, when we're not good at it, we practice. We start to get in. If, you, if we need help in any other area, we just work. We practice it. It's okay. We mess up. We just continue to practice it. Now, some of you might be here and say, Sean, there's no way I can do that. You've got a list of reasons why. Again, they may be very valid. Uh, some of you might say, you know what? I don't need this, Sean. I'm going just fine. I mean, I can just keep working and keep working and keep working. I don't feel a wall coming. I don't feel a crash coming. I feel strong. I, I feel like I can keep doing this. And here's my response to that. Because I get that. I, I'm right there. I've been right there in that camp. But here's, here's my response. You can't expect the blessings of God while violating the principles of God. We can't expect that I'm just going to walk in God's blessing. I'm going to have right emotions. I'm going to have right energy levels. I'm going to have right disposition towards other people. I'm going to have a right view of other people, all while violating this principle of rest that God's put in there. God built it in there for us, for our benefit, and we need to start taking advantage of it. Some of us, the, most, the next step in your spiritual growth Okay, ready for this? The, the next step in your spiritual growth, the best thing you could do to go on to spiritual maturity is to take a day off and take a nap. That may be the most spiritually mature thing you could do next. And I know that sounds crazy and it sounds silly and it sounds like, what would that do? But I'm telling you, it's taking more faith to do that for many of us than to go out and do something crazy for God. Because many times when we go out and do something crazy for God, it's operating in our own strength or we're, we're trying to steward it with our own energy. But this is something that we've got to trust God in. But to stay on full, to stay filled up, we've got to do one more thing. One other thing. I'm sure there's plenty of others, but let's watch this last one. You don't have to worry about anything. I'll do all the paddling. You just hang on.
the, the scene leading up to that, several times he makes several attempts to try to escape, several attempts, and you can see he just keeps coming at it and keeps coming at it and keeps coming at it. This is going to sound very simplistic, but I believe it's so important. Number three, if we want to stay filled up, we want to stay uh, with our lamp full, we got to show up again and again and again and again. We just keep showing up. There's, because there's this temptation whenever we find ourselves drifting towards empty. There's this temptation towards to pull back into isolation, to have this castaway mentality, to be just on the, just to give up, just to stop, just to pull out of everything. And I'm telling you, in a situation like that, show up, show up to church, show up to real life group, show up to your family. Show up in your marriage. Show up to the word of God. Show up to your quiet times. Show up to wherever, whatever you do. Don't, don't pull back. Just continue to show up again and again and again. The statistics said that those who attend church weekly will pass their faith along to their kids 59% of the time compared to 31% of those who attend monthly or 26% for those who attend once a year. In other words, just in a practical area like showing up to church, matters. It's just showing up. Okay, and I'm not just talking about showing up to an event. I'm talking about showing up to relationships, showing up to the mission God has for you, showing up to your, just continue to show up. Carl Lentz said it this way. He said, proximity creates passion. Distance creates distortion. Whatever you're close to, you will be passionate about. Whatever you're far from, you will not care about. Whoa, that is so important right there. Whenever you take a step back from relationships, it gets distorted. Whenever you take a step back from your relationship with God, it gets distorted. Whenever you take a step back from, from uh, church or from your friendships or from your marriage or from whatever area it is, distortion ha- happens. But whenever you get close, even though it's messy, you become passionate about it if you continue to show up. I- I've told my story before, but I believe it's worth sharing again. Uh, around that time, back in 2004, uh, for those of you guys who don't know, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up all my life serving God, uh, raised in a Christian home. We were in ministry. I w- had been a youth pastor for several years. Our family had been a missionary to, to Mexico for a year in there. I mean, I'd been in the presence of God time and time again. I know what it's like to hear from God. I know what it's like to read your Bible and for God to just pull something out and to speak directly to your soul. I knew all of that. I'd experienced all of that time and time again for years and years of my life growing up. And then I hit this moment where I didn't hear God's voice anymore. And I didn't feel God's presence. I would go to church and I just felt numb, cold, disconnected. I would look all around me and I would know, man, all these people, I know they're getting something. I know what it's like to feel the presence of God. I'd read my Bible, nothing. I would pray, feel like there's no, like, like the, it's just shut off. And this didn't go on for like a week or two weeks. This went on for months. This went on for over a year and a half of day in and day out. Not ever feeling, I know all this stuff to do. I know I've taught it. I'd preached it. I'd lived it. I'd experienced it. I knew everything to do. And so I would read my Bible, nothing. I would pray, nothing. I would worship, nothing. I would serve, nothing. I would do, go on, nothing. Nothing worked. And I got to a point of frustration, and I, at the end of that, I began to just pray out to God, but I really didn't even know if I was praying to God anymore. I just felt it had been so quiet. I felt like I was talking out loud and hoping that God would overhear. 
But I'd finally come to this point where I just decided, and I kind of telling God, I said, God, even if I never, ever hear your voice ever again for the rest of my life, I'm going to still serve you. Even if I never feel your presence, even if I never, even if I read the Bible over and over again and nothing's ever illuminated out where I need, I will continue to read my Bible. I will continue to serve. I will continue to follow after you. I will continue to be in relationship with other believers. I will continue to do everything I know to do. And I settled it in my heart that even if I never feel God's presence, even if I never hear God's voice again, I am a lifer. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life without any, any confirmation that it's actually working. And once I got to that point of settledness with that, it's like all of a sudden God just started to download into me. Do you know what happened during that time? A year and a half. I, I can tell you what happened. I learned to follow and trust God without my feelings. I got to a point where I didn't need my feelings to follow after God. That I had made a decision that I had a brand new, deep, deep level of trust between me and God. That even if I go through seasons where I don't hear your voice, I'm still following. Even if I go through a time where I don't feel your presence, I'm still showing up. Even if there's a time when, when I don't feel like things are right, things are off, I don't feel like you're there, I feel like you should have been, I'm still going to follow. I've already made that decision for the rest of my life. You know what happened? I had a new level of trust and faith in God. Show up. Don't pull back to, tempta to this temptation of, of being a castaway when you feel like you're heading towards this. No, we need, listen, discipleship is not a DIY project. You can't do it by yourself. That ought to be a whole sermon right there. It's not a DIY project. You cannot, it does not happen that way. It happens whenever we get and when we get and interact with the presence of God in other ways and corporately and individually and relationally and with the word of God. It happens as we interact. That's how it works. Can I have the worship team come on back up? As we do this, let me just say a couple of things real quick. A lot of people think even these days with the whole new movement of way things are going in the Christian world that, well, church gatherings don't matter. It's not really being on mission with God. It's not really discipleship. No discipleship's really happening in this moment. It's just an event. And listen, I get why those things are said, but there's so many reasons why I could say that that's just not true. But one of them is this idea that if nothing else, what we're doing here today, if nothing else, this is practice for eternity. Because one of the things we're going to be doing throughout all eternity is gathered together side by side, worshiping Jesus. And if nothing else, we're practicing right now and gathered as the people of God, as the body of Christ, we're gathered and we're practicing for eternity. I think that's so cool. One of the things about rest, we talk about rest. You know what rest is? It's practicing for eternity. Resting in God. I want you to think about this. We know that Adam and Eve in the garden, they did what? They walked and talked in the cool of the day with God. They walked and talked. They hung out with God. They had conversations with God. Think about this. In the garden, there was no sin. There was no sickness. There were no problems, no issues to solve. What did they talk about? What did they talk about? Whenever we get to eternity... There's going to be no sorrow. There's no sickness. There's no pain. There's no problems to solve. 
what will we talk to God about? See, so many of us, our whole relationship with God is dependent upon those issues. But when I talk about resting in God, when I talk about just showing up and being with God, when I talk about what I went through where I just said, God, I'm going to show up. I'm just going to show up and be with you. That's practice for eternity. That's practicing a whole new level and a whole new different kind of relationship for me to have with God, to just be with God, not to solve a problem, not to pour out my heart, (laughs) just to be with God. Rest, Sabbath, is practicing being with God. And so many of us think, oh, I can't afford to do that. How can we afford not to? And I tell you what, if you just hang out with God, what's going to happen? Boom, oil in the tank. Fuel rises up. Fuel rises up. I'm telling you, this is such a practical thing that we discount as not a spiritual thing or we think it's an impossibility. But with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. In Jewish tradition, the Sabbath began at evening on Friday night at sundown and they would unplug, they would recite a blessing. The father, usually the, typically the father of the house would take this special goblet thing and, and he would take some wine and he would begin to pour it into the goblet as he was reciting this blessing. And he would keep pouring it till it got full, but he wouldn't stop when it was full. He would keep pouring it as it poured out over the cup. And it was to represent what's supposed to happen in a Sabbath or what's supposed to happen in our relationship with God, that there's this overflowing abundance that's supposed to happen. And so some of you today, you might feel like you're on a quarter tank. Listen, God doesn't want you on a quarter tank. God doesn't want me on a quarter tank. I'll even go further. God doesn't even want you full. God wants you overflowing. God wants you overflowing. So what I want to do here at the end is I just want everybody to stand up and I feel like just praying a blessing over all of us. If you would receive that blessing for God to just come and to fill up your tank this morning. I know there are practical reasons that we need to take care of and stuff, but I believe God could supernaturally right now do something you could never do in your own strength. I believe as we come together before God in the presence of God, and some of you may not be feeling this at all right now, that's okay, just show up. Just show up. Be an empty vessel if you're empty right now and just say, God, fill me up. So right now, just close, close your eyes and just, Lord, we just thank you, God, for the overflow that you're pouring into every person here in our church. You don't want us on half tank. You don't want us on quarter tank, three quarters or full. You want us to overflow so that we can overflow with an abundance for every good work. Not just in our finances that we would have an abundance for every good work, but an abundance of joy so that we could pass to other people. An abundance of peace, an abundance of vision, an abundance of love for every for other people, that we'd have an abundance for every good work that you've called us to. Lord, I just speak overflow over every single person. Some of you needed to see yourself filling up right now with the oil of the Holy Spirit, and it begins to flow up all the way to the top, and it begins to pour out over the top. Begin to see that by faith right now. Lord, we just speak that right now. We trust you with that right now. Lord, I pray that people would get a brand new vision for how to stay full instead of running on empty. Lord, help us to lean in to your rest instead of just our strength. Lord, I just speak that blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship one more time.